When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 250 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas. Frances, can you believe we got to 250 shows? Did we? When? Now. 250 today. shows. Today. Woohoo! Well done. <laughs> um, hola, culés. Congratulations to us. More congratulations to you, Dan, because you really have done every single one. That's true. Of the 250. <laughs> I've missed some. Um, unfortunately for me, and fortunately for lots of listeners, I'm sure. Uh, Dan, well done. Job. Um, I'm, you know, looking for for another 750 to hit the thousand, and then who knows? Yeah, I mean, we're, I'm already working. We're, we're already trying. To, it took us four years to get here, so I'm already trying to work. And by that time, Messi will be what? I mean, he'll be he'll be 10 years older. He'll be in his 40s. So by that time, maybe he's learned English, and we can get him on the show. So <laughs> maybe we'll have a big celebration for 1,000 someday. But anyway, we did sure. make sure that. While we do get a handle on the next 250, so 250, so to get to make sure we at least get to 500 in the show notes here or on our website, barcelblad.com or any social media at all, we have a survey with some pretty fun questions. Frances, it is anonymous, but someone suggested I should start referring to you as King Frances, Lord of Great <laughs> Opinions and Master of All that is FC Barcelona podcasting. So either that was you yeah. or you're, you have a pretty big fan. So you're getting some compliments on there. Um, no, it was certainly not me. <laughs> Whoever wrote that is most definitely deluded. Um, I would say it is my mom, but my mom does not speak English. <laughs> so I've got no idea. But whoever it was, not very good judgment, mate. 
Yeah, well, it's we were getting some good returns, but it's going to help us continue to figure out where my attention and our and uh, Francesca and I, both of our energies go and some of the things we discuss on the podcast and even the off season is going to help figure out what people want to hear in the off season because we just want to make sure we're uh, continuing to listen to our audience. So we thank you for joining the show. Because I, I think for those listening, you've come to listen to the show. And so let's get into it now because we do have some fun stuff to talk about again. The one result since the last time we spoke was a 6-1 victory over Real Sociedad. Not only is Barcelona enjoyable to watch, and I, that I think the most important thing, but Frances, just going back and the idea that going on the road up in the Basque Country to Real Sociedad and putting six goals past them, uh, can you just remind some of the, the younger listeners how impeccable, I mean, or how improbable that kind of result is? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking after watching the game, the last great result I remember that was, I think it was 0-6 that we scored. It was the dream team. It was, I think it was the first game that Johan Cruyff did not coach. And it was incredible. That, but that was like 26 years ago now. Yeah. Um, it, going all the way to Bilbao, Real Sociedad, and even Osasuna, to be honest, because you can put Osasuna in the same basket, even though they're not normally at the same level. It is extraordinary. So for us to go and score six goals, is is great i think it's a great reflection of the great work that kuman is doing at the wheel and the fact that there is so much energy and 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 basically at this time of the season in previous years definitely the last four i want to say everyone was already fundido they were dissolving into injury problems into fatigue and we were always talking about rotation but no one ever really rotated now this season is completely different it looks like every passing game, we're actually getting better. Uh, we're going to the international break shortly now. Obviously, Pedri and Co are going to play for Spain tomorrow. They're joining the, the, the Spanish call-up tomorrow. And I've seen a lot of people, me included, that think that this is really actually bad timing for us yeah. because we're on a roll. So, you know, it, it is a positive to see that the, the, the players are fit. But obviously, our momentum could be stopped. Not saying that it will. But, you know, it would have been good to get another two or three games. Definitely the one against Madrid before the international break. But, hey, you cannot really pick everything. Yeah, I always consider when thinking about the international break, I, I think to, I think it was Iniesta, Luis Suarez, and on the top of my head, Ronaldinho. Those three players, more than any other, seem to have their worst matches coming back from the international break. And it's funny because <laughs> what they're doing on the international break, so two of them being South Americans in Suarez and Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho also having a little bit of fun with his Brazilian teams. There's a lot of stories in history about that. And then Iniesta was always the puzzling one to me because he would be usually traveling in continental Europe. Uh, and yet when Iniesta came back, he just... I don't know what it was about maybe even those long flights that he just didn't have the same game, right? He could go to Russia or go to or go to Turkey or somewhere in the Champions League and be just fine. And then he would go on a shorter flight to Poland or to the Netherlands or something in the international break. And yet when he came back, he always seemed to be like he was languishing. Yeah. It, it's, just, it's just a different... With Andres, uh, yeah. I think a lot of it was mental for Andres Iniesta. Um, yeah. He's always been someone who has his body... More, more than the average footballer linked to his mind. Mm -hmm. And he was someone that obviously grew up at La Masia and he had quite a stable childhood, stable obviously being away from your family from age yeah. 12. Yeah, he's from, from Albacete, which is, which is closer, yeah. much closer to Madrid than it is Barcelona. Yeah, he's 750 kilometers away from, from Barcelona. It was mm -hmm. a huge, huge drive. But his upbringing from age 12 onwards, it was consistent because he was always around friends, teachers, and everyone who took care of him at La Masia and obviously beyond. And taking him out of that context, even if he was for a couple of weeks, seemed to do him, not unsettle him as such, but seems to change his focus. 
And when, when you put so much emphasis on mental strength and, and, and focus, as I've already said, then this sometimes generates the um, not having a great game coming back. But having said that, legendary player, I would take a thousand like him anytime. Oh, yeah, yeah. A million, million times percent. And he also overcame plenty of that, too. Remember, we talk about the injury he had going into that, the, the memorable, memorable match against Chelsea when he had that hamstring mm-hmm. injury. Then leading up to the World Cup, he was in and out um, of lineups all season long. And he also had a, a death of a very close friend in Denis Jarquet. And so, I mean, he was in a bad way when he had his most glorious moments physically and mentally. And so that's, that's the mark of a two legend. I mean, Andres Iniesta, we're, we're seven minutes in the show. And so far we're talking about surveys and Andres Iniesta, but uh, we talked about what we enjoyed about it. It's our show. So 250, that's how we do it. But yeah, but let's get back to how enjoyable <laughs> Barca was against Real Sociedad. And I, I followed up with a pretty simple question here is that it's not wrong to say Barca are enjoyable in a way they haven't been enjoyable. And we can talk as much as we can about individuals or formation, but I think we have to start with giving credit to Ronald Koeman for the, the, the Mesquite club part of this, that yes, Barcelona are winning matches and they're dominating matches and they're playing really well, but there's a, a joy and a pleasure in turning on the television and, and sitting in and just enjoying what you're seeing. Uh, and I have a lot of numbers to back up and support and a lot of stats and all this stuff that, that tells you why it's more enjoyable. But I, I think just the, the, the feeling and sense you get as a, as a football fan of saying, that's something I want to watch. That's something I don't want to watch. That's why even if Jose Mourinho never managed Real Madrid, I would never like Jose Mourinho. That, full stop. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I never liked him before he went to Real Madrid. I'll never like him because I don't think I think he's antithetical to what we like to watch. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that Barca's growth has been tremendous. I think that the fact that, as you're saying, they are enjoyable to watch is is credit to what the manager is doing. But at the same time, also to the players themselves, because, you know, you've got the Vacas Sagradas, the the old guard that, you know, they keep failing year after year at the same hurdle in European championships. And then once we get, let's just face it, destroyed by PSG, Liverpool, um, Roma, Juventus, etc. Then they seem to, in previous years, they seem to put their heads down and basically disappear and dilute mm-hmm. throughout the following months. But actually, they pick themselves back up. I think that the, the game, even though we didn't quite win it, but the game in Paris uh, against PSG was actually a testament to that. And the fact that, you know, they messed up once again, but they are mature enough to know that that is gone. But the, the season, there's still plenty to fight for. I mean, we didn't really, I certainly didn't expect Atletico Madrid to go downhill so quickly as they have done lately. Um, and we were saying a, a lot of times uh, in the previous two years about Luis Suarez, that he d- definitely can score, but he's not someone that can last you a season playing the amount of minutes he was playing. And with Suarez declining, there seems to be some bits and pieces around him beginning to crawl and crumble. And let's face it, Atletico Madrid have never really been a team that can go a whole season without making mistakes. But obviously, seeing what we saw at the beginning of the season, it looked like this was the one. But I'm not that sure that that's going to happen anymore. Put that together with um, Real Madrid sort of, (laughs) I'm going to say, perennial staying in limbo, as they have been doing all season. Then Barca's growth. I mean, let's face it, Barca are the most attractive team to watch in La Liga right now. Uh, they actually are, uh, I'm sure you got all the numbers, but one of the of the teams in Europe that have got, won the most points, I would say, in the last three months for sure. And we are winning. We are playing well. So, you know, there is no reason to think that we cannot achieve higher than, 
let's I put my hand up. I was predicting even two months ago, but it looks like there's a continuation of bits and pieces that seem to be falling into place for Barca to go all the way. Um, are we going to win La Liga? I'm really not sure. But as I've been saying all year, it's not about the result. It's about the journey for the future. Now, if there is a chance to win the tournament and, and obviously La Copa or La Liga this season, then for sure, go for it. Why wouldn't you? But I think that this is a long-term project that seems to be falling into place much quicker than I thought. And that's, that can only be good news. And it's really exciting to watch. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol or Piquet and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Yeah, 15 uh, wins, three draws in the last uh, 18 matches. That's 48 points. That's top in all of the, the top five leagues, at least. And they're also the only top five league team that is still unbeaten in the in the 2021 calendar year. So since the calendar turned, Ajax is over in the Netherlands doing their thing. So yeah, there are other teams that are unbeaten in Europe, but in terms of just being in the one of those uh, top four even, or top five major leagues, if you will. So let's talk about individual players now. I want to start with the American Sergino Dest. Uh, I think if there's any day to start... Big surprise there, Dan. I, I don't think shocked. so. I don't think How, so. I mean, are you biased by any chance? <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think I'm biased in no. terms of talking about what he did yesterday in the two goals. Yes, I'm biased in trying to extrapolate when he had bad games, but he actually <laughs> had a good game. So let's talk about the good game he had and the two goals he had. Okay, fine. Here, here's your American stat for you. Uh, he now with two goals has the most by any American in the Liga history. Eunice Musa, who's currently still a teenager at Valencia, and then Josie Altador at Villarreal more than a decade ago. They both had mm-hmm. one goal. Uh, I think Eunice Musa will score more than the one. So there wasn't much of a bar to jump over to be the the highest scoring American in the Liga history uh, with the two goals. But I think the 
why that happened and um the, i want to just discuss about the change of how he winds up having you know zero goals and you know doesn't really have the stats assist goals wise to back it up for a while playing the regular right back and then he becomes he's not the right back at all he was a right winger since this change in formation to the 3-5-2 the heat map is something that i'm going to be relying on a ton as we have our discussion today uh and i'll start with the Sergino dest that he was the highest player on the field according to that heat map and mm-hmm. It, it wasn't a matter of, you know, being in spots for either Mingetha to get the ball to him or Messi to get the ball to him. That right wing was completely his. We talked about the gravity of Messi, and Messi was actually the one closest to him instead of Dembele and Griezmann. They were a little farther back mm-hmm. this time. So Messi being closer to, to Dest means that Dest is always going to be in one-on-one situations. And we've seen previously whether it was uh, he was kind of stood up and he struggled against Acuna, against Sevilla. He did his job, but Acuna basically had him in his pocket. And then we saw he was against, what, Kozawa. And he actually did better against Kozawa for PSG. And it depends on who the left back is, on how well, and, and how much they struggle with Sergino Dest. And then yesterday against Real Sociedad, I mean, there was no shot. Munoz had no shot. There were constant doubles coming over to him. And he just, he was confident. He had his way and he was using his speed to get to the, the end line. And it also reminds you that because team's game plan for Barcelona, they start with Messi and then they go from there. They say, Messi, Alba, he's going to be a problem in this match for us. Dembele, we have to worry about him. We'll get to that in a second. Um, Dest, and to, to that credit, Dest is obviously not the guy, even if he's playing right wing, that the other team is going to game plan for. And he winds up being the 18th different goal scorer for Barca this year. And with 18 different goal scorers, Barca have most of any team in Europe with a different player putting the ball in the back of the net. So he was just so, so good in that match. And uh, yeah, I don't think that's bias. I, I don't think I added anything different to it. But no. what did you see from Sergino Dest? That was maybe different than what you saw when he first arrived at Barca. Well, what I saw is um, the fact that Barca obviously playing with three other back. They seem to be perfecting the system as weeks go by. Um, I think that having Mingueza, who is fit, tall, hungry, ready, and let's just let's say it, he's quite good on the ball as well. That gives you a lot of confidence moving forward. The thing is, uh, and it's, it did, what I'm going to say applies to Alba as well. He, both of them are defending much further up front. So you, you, you obviously faced it from the attacking perspective, but when you're attacking so high, and this applies to Alba as well, then it is obvious that you're going to be an option. As you said, Messi was close to him, but he wasn't statically close to him. I mean, Messi's never been static anyway. So that when Messi drifted towards the middle, he gave him a lot of space. So obviously, Mingueza's the one that's going into, say, two-thirds up front, if you picture the pitch. Um, Then Serginho, this is the one that's in the final attacking third. But obviously, there's a huge amount of space, especially when the ball is being played on the left, so that if you switch it quickly towards the right, there's a lot of space. And with Mingueza's speed and the same the same for Serginho, um, then obviously they seem to have motorways to run into, which was, which was very beneficial. Um, but as I said before, it's not just the fact that when we're in possession, they're able to run into spaces or to surprise the, the fullback, obviously in this case, the, the left back, Real Sociedad. It is the fact that when we lose possession, they're trying to recover, and this is both Alba and Serginho Dest again, they're trying to recover the ball so high up front that if they get it back, they only need to do a little one-two or just even take a shot themselves, and actually they're much closer to the goal than they, they were before. So I think that Serginho Dest's brilliance is a direct reflection of the system that we've got, but then again, credit to the player when it's due. Sergio Roberto, I doubt, would be able to do that. Um, I think Nelson Semedo would probably not have been able to do that either, 
and you can go further back in time. Um, and also, if we're just talking about Serginho, I think the fact that he's playing for Barca at this level, having, let's face it, not really been a starter at Ajax consistently, coming to Barca, being, being a starter, because Sergio Roberto has been injured, and even when he was fit, at times being ahead of him, and playing so consistently, so many minutes, and so effectively, and seeing such growth in such a short space of time, you don't have to be American to see that. So it's, it's all good news. Yeah. And you mentioned about the pressing and you mentioned about the intensity of Alba and Des trying to get the ball back. So since they switched to that 3-4, the 3-5-2 or the 3-4-3, if you will, it's four games compared to the 31 prior. But the number of pressing actions in the final third, so where Alba and Dest, once Barca lose the ball, where Alba and Dest mm. begin their press, Barca have gone from 32 pressing actions per 90 to 51 per 90 which is it shows you that there's an intensity and a rise in the amount of times that the that the other that the opposition is under pressure and Alba defensively is a part of this as well and so Alba he was also really good on his birthday yesterday so let's flip over to the other yeah. side to the other wing it was birthdays for Alba Griezmann Kuman and even Ronaldinho they celebrated one so that's the big Barca birthday day but for Alba this season 17 combined goals and assists for him uh, and if it feels like he's being revitalized uh, it's yes and no so he had 11 last season and that's when people began to say you know we're just talking about his performance his numbers his output we're not talking about him and the way that he's emotionally reacted in europe i think we've had that conversation a billion times over we've discussed his his mental toughness and i, I don't think that's important i think we can we're just talking about the when bars is playing well and the team that he's a part of right now that's what we're discussing. So last season, 11 combined goals and assists. The year before, though, it was 20. So remember that he and Messi were really the only option in that 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 first Ernesto Valverde season. He was completely relied on. Barca's second most important player, and maybe third behind Luis Suarez, too. Uh, and then the year before that, it was 14. The year before that, 16, 17, it was seven combined goals and assists. And then before that, it was 10. So he, he has taking on a bigger offensive output has Alba and it's almost a mirror image of what's happening with Dest but with Alba it is for me I'm always looking at how much of it is relying on Messi and the partnership with Messi and so I was excited to see on that final goal of the day that was scored by Messi Messi's second goal it comes from a one-two between Puj and Alba instead of always being Messi to Alba I think in this system Alba is a much easier job finding Griezmann, playing off Griezmann. So when Messi would drop deep, he would look immediately, as we talked about against PSG, to Griezmann. And then beyond that, bypassing him would be Alba. So that means that Messi always has two options every time. And even if it's a small pass to, to Griezmann, Alba then becomes the option for him instead of always having to be Messi to Alba or Messi to Griezmann or Messi to Dembele. And it gets mm -hmm. Alba much more involved with his other teammates. And that's been the, the, the slight wrinkle I've seen in why Alba's seen such a, a good run of form in this 3-5-2 as well. And yes, his position on the field is the obvious one. Yeah, um, I'm going to say something that I don't know if I've ever said in the podcast before. Mm. And we've been here 250 episodes <laughs> today. Um, when I played football for many years, I mean, in fact, I'm still playing and playing more, but far less effectively now. <laughs> uh, I cannot run as much anymore, unfortunately for me. But um, when I was fitter and I was playing football 11, which I did for over 20 years, 25 years, in fact, um, I always play as a fullback. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that. So I think you mentioned it. I, yeah, you mentioned it. I yeah. have. I have. So, okay. So I know a thing or two about the position. And I can tell you that the hardest thing about being a fullback in a football team is to go back. 
uh, going forward, everyone's happy. <laughs> you always see the space, especially when you're sort of there in the, at the back in the corner, you see everything that's happening. And if you are clever, which obviously Jordi Alba and Serginho Des are, and I like to think I was a little bit as well, you see everything unfolding in front of you. So when everyone is chasing the ball, moving forward and you recover it, then basically you're getting everyone, what we say in Spanish, a contrapié. Is on the back foot, I think, in English. So you you can see the the ways going forward very very easily, and associating with anyone around you is is, is not too hard, especially if you're going for a one-two and sort of zooming and, and you know aiming towards the byline and, and zooming past people. But obviously, if you got Messi around, that's multiplied times a million, which obviously I never had the pleasure of having. But going back and recovering is difficult because. You know, the, the amount of running you have to do to get to the byline, for example, that's nearly 80 to 90 meters. And you're going up and down, up and down, up and down for 90 minutes. You need to be incredibly fit to be able to do this. Now, even thinking about myself, if I had to do the runs forward, I would happily do those. But going back and thinking I've got um, in, in that Serginho um, position, it would be Mingueza at the back. Well, that's, that's secure. That's safe, especially against Real Sociedad, who, let's face it, were not that great yesterday really. Mm. I think they're fully focused on the Copa del Rey final coming up for them. Um, not this season, but last season that's coming soon. <laughs> right. And they didn't seem to be fully fully engaged in the game. Let's, let's put it that way. But not to take anything of what Barca did, if you're going forward and you're covered by three defenders who know what they're doing and they're not really that challenged, that gives you so much freedom going forward that you would exploit that and obviously being as, as effective as both Alba and Sergio Des have been, which again, it is again but, um, great news. Yeah, I, I think we, I, I told a story a few weeks ago how, you know, my memories, I, I played at, at fullback uh, in high school for two years, and all my memories of being a fullback are bad ones, as in defensively. I don't, I don't mm. remember any of the good offensive things I did. I know I did some good offensive things, but I don't remember any of those things because I just remember when I was, when I had a guy coming down that, or when I was either out of position or when I was in. So I definitely remember all the bad <laughs> and uh, defensively. Never, I don't remember any of the good. I know there was a ton of wall passing. I know there was a ton of, uh, I was, I was quick, so I know there was a ton of uh, overlapping runs, but. I, they, they don't they don't stick out the way that the again the defensive stuff does and I I unfortunately did not play with the Pennsylvania Messi either so don't don't worry there is only <laughs> there is only one Lionel Messi um but speaking of Messi so that's a good transition to speak about I want to talk about Messi Griezmann and Dembele almost in a in a little grouping here because mm. now that for the second straight game in this three five two Kuman whether this is it's just by design that he had prepared to begin the three five two transition into that system with Griezmann on the bench as we saw against Sevilla in those two matches. And then adding him to the fold now, we even saw him against PSG and now Huesca and uh, in the match against Real Sociedad. And I, it's interesting to see the slight wrinkles that have changed since Griezmann has now gotten accustomed to this 3-5-2. Uh, for starters, for Dembele's positioning, he, against Real Sociedad, I think more than any other match we've seen so far in the 3-5-2, is pulling that back line deeper and forcing them into decisions. Uh, and mm -hmm. obviously, if you have to decide between Messi and anyone else, it's a difficult decision to make. So... As I mentioned, the little wrinkle in this heat map compared to the other four matches we've seen in the 3-5-2 was that Messi was higher this time than Griezmann and Dembele with his average positioning. And yes, he moved around a lot, but he dropped deep a bit less in this one than he did in the other ones. He was dropping deep a bit more against all, all the other oppositions. And I noticed that too on that heat map that Pedri, Griezmann, and Dembele were all about at that same spot. As I mentioned, even in those moments when Messi does drop deep, 
One of the three is then the outlet to him on his left uh, as he turns to his left shoulder in front of him about 10, 15 yards. And then someone is always in support. It's usually Pedri in that in that instance. So one when Pedri, Griezmann, or Dembele, they're basically taking turns, finding Messi with a forward pass I against Real Sociedad. And then it was Dembele or Griezmann. It was a direct sprint then to create a 2v1 with Alba on the wing and force the fullback into a decision, as opposed to That's... making that defensive midfielder allowed to take that opportunity. And then it was Pedri usually, instead of making that sprint, Pedri would then drop to be that support to Messi. Yeah, do you know the way I see it? I think that the back line and the forward line at Barca are, are copying each other right now. I was watching the game... I always watch the game as, a, as, as if it was a drawing a lot of the time. I don't really focus on people's feet and dribbles and things. I look at formation a lot. And if you think about it, when Ter Stegen's got the ball and he doesn't boot it out, which, let's face it, doesn't always happen. Um, so he's placed it to the side from the back. The three that is at the back, again, if you're on YouTube, then watch it. But, you know, the three that are at the back, they rotate. So one of them goes forward that normally is, how can I explain it? The center back on the side that is not the one that the ball's gone to. So for example, with the, with the formation yesterday and the lineup yesterday, if the, ball, if the ball went to Lenglet, then you have Frankie de Jong going towards the right to give him the option. And then you have Mingueza drifting forwards towards the natural right back position. And then obviously that pushed Serginho that's further up and that's your formation already done like that. Now, if you transform that or transfer that to the front, that's what Pedri and Dembele and Griezmann are doing. Um, they are rotating into, as you said, you said it very well, they're rotating into the same spot, but it always depends on where Messi is going. And they have been clever enough lately to be able to understand and learn each other's mechanisms so that whenever Messi has the ball, he's got an option throughout the middle. He's got an option of someone mostly coming from the second line, unless he's catching someone who most normally be Dembele in these the last two, three games, sort of going towards the striking position. And then the other one would give an outlet or would cover Messi's back if he drives forward. So basically it's a it's like a triangle of four sides. <laughs> the fourth side, I know mm -hmm. triangle doesn't have three four sides, but you know, it's a triangle of four sides. Messi drives into the triangle and then it opens up to enable spaces. And then when you've got both wings dashing forward, that seems to be something that the opposition still haven't been able to to work as a solution for. So it is very positive because even explaining it sounds difficult. Imagine being playing against it these days. So again, Yeah, and, and and recognizing. And so to speak about Mingetha one more time, where that all begins with him, what I've been most impressed about, I think, of anything else is his ability to read the game. And so his positioning yeah. has been just so, so important. And it's, it's, it is almost a disservice to Lang Lang on the other side that Lang Lang does have, does have his moments uh, offensively. I mean, just being in the right spots and playing balls. And, you know, I try to overanalyze it. But there's something about Mingetha where that he has a high level of reading the game that you're seeing in this change of formation. And I think this formation is also getting the best out of him as well. That should be mentioned. So uh, to, to speak back to about Messi real quick, we, we talked about him last week. We went deep on Messi about how, um, you know, last week he was becoming the leader in all-time appearances. Now he is the leader in all-time appearances at, at 768. All he had to do for this one was just show up. But in this one, he does show up and he has one assist and two goals. Now, he has 19 goals and eight assists in 2021. He has a goal or an assist in every La Liga match, aside from the two he missed because of the uh, the injury and the red card suspension. Since December of uh, December 16th 
against Real Sociedad. So the first time this season that they played and before the Super Cup and all that. So this season in total, 29 goals and 13 assists. And I always find it funny that international media and even here in the States, uh, national media, they discuss Robert Lewandowski this season and Messi as, uh, as almost comparable in this way. That Lewandowski is scoring in goals uh, at an intrepid rate and he has more goals this season than Messi. Yes. But then people don't mention that Messi has the assist too, right? That's how it's, it's framed internationally to talk about Messi. We know that, yeah, we just know that we don't know how to talk about Messi anymore because of the goals and the assists and all the playmaking. So people just have to either, you either compare him to all the playmakers and assist getters, or you compare him to all the, the goal scorers because they're not doing both either. He just happens to be doing both. And, you know, this, this, this revitalized Messi, it, it must continue to be said that this 3-5-2, he is really thriving in. And as you mentioned with the space, the opposition doesn't really have an answer to that. And I do want to give credit as well to Dembele and Griezmann for that. Dembele now up to 28 Barca goals. It's funny enough, 14 with his left foot, 14 with his right foot in his 20, with his 28 goals. I remember when he came to Barca, uh, Frances, and he said, I'm ambidextrous. Just believe me that I'm better with my left and my right. And I guess he was right because, or I mean, I guess he was correct because he is scoring both with, with both. And Griezmann as well. He is up to 14 and 11 this year, uh, 14 goals, 11 assists, uh, eight and six in the Liga. A reminder that last year he had four, he had 15 goals total and four assists. Of those coming in the Liga, uh, nine of those were the goals, and then assists coming in the Liga was all four. So he's just one goal off his league total, and he already surpassed his assists from last year. That being Griezmann. Yeah, can I say something on Griezmann here? Yeah, please. I think that this final game has really brought it to light that he seems to have accepted his role as not a key protagonist at Barca. Uh, let me let me rephrase that. So he knows that he's not going to be the main protagonist. He knows he's not going to be getting all the goals. He knows that this is Messi's team. He knows that arguably in the current system, Dembele is more important than him in order to you know, be the one up front. Um, that's quite obvious. And you can even push it and argue that the, um, both Serginho Dest and Alba are actually more important than him for the attacking system at Barca. Um, that's, you know, if you want to be in all the, all the videos, you know, the highlights, then that's not really going to be Griezmann unless he gets a cheeky goal here and there that he continues to do. And that is obviously great. But I think that the greatest asset that Griezmann is, is adding to the team is work and it's cleverness and it's positioning and it's recovering and it's overlapping and he's running into spaces and he's what you said before, um, making sure all the hit marks are overlapping with each other and they not being in other people's spaces. Now, is that worth 120 million euros? Maybe not, but that's not what we're talking about here because we've already paid that money. This is someone who is in the team. Uh, we are not playing the game looking at people's bank accounts. Um, that maybe will come once the season is finished. But yeah. at the moment, he is a key player that, you know, touch wood, doesn't really get injured very much. Um, he's mostly available all the time. He is hardworking. He is facing... His teammates with a smile. Um, he's someone who's very well liked in, within the dressing room. He doesn't clash with the old guard and he's not an obstacle for the newbies. So credit to him, you know, credit to yeah. him because reinventing yourself like David Villa and I always go back to him because he's the most clear example. Uh, coming to Barca as a remarkable star in a non-Barca Madrid team. Obviously, Villa came from, from Valencia and... Um, Antoine Griezmann comes from, obviously, from Atletico Madrid. Being able to reinvent yourself, being a World Cup winner already, and to put yourself at the service of the team 
and obviously at the expense of your own shine is, is, is remarkable. So if on top of doing all of that, you can get a goal here and there and having contributed already to 14 goals this year, then that's, that's really, really good on him for doing that. Yeah, I actually want to add a wrinkle to this idea of Griezmann in the offseason that uh, there's a lot of questions. I mean, if Barca are to bring in some other big name player, then most likely Griezmann will be sold because at, just looking at Coutinho's market value, most likely, and the amount that's still owed to Liverpool, most likely Coutinho, unfortunately, is going to be a net zero. So even if he goes for 40 or 50 million euros, that's about what Barca still owe Liverpool for him. So unfortunately, Coutinho is not going to be some um, revenue generator um, even when he's sold. And then for Griezmann, the question of will he be sold because he is worth something. I would add the wrinkle that there is a chance with Laporta and his new board coming in that Griezmann's wages, there might be discussion if he wants to stay at Barcelona of restructuring his wages and making it equal to the kind of output that he puts forward. And I think that is an option that I haven't heard too much about that I'm just considering that there might be some kind of conversation between Griezmann and Laporta and his group that says, hey, you know, you only do score 15 goals and nine assists, and we'd like to pay you for 15 goals and, and nine assists so that you can stay with Barca and that we don't have to offload you because of our wage bill being too high. So if the option is we're going to sell you or we'd like to restructure a deal, that is Barcelona retaking the leverage from some of these players that are high earners. Again, this is no fault on Griezmann. It's not, we, 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 again, it's always this, this emotional indictment of a player that makes the money they do. Hey, if I can make as much money as I possibly could doing my job, then I'd love to do that, right? Who's mad when you're given more money to do the job that you do, right? And so I don't blame the player. I don't blame the agent in this instance. But, you know, former people at Barcelona made the deal. Uh, and they're the ones who went out. And there was an even interview today from Eric Abidal about it was Neymar or Griezmann. And I remember, yeah. you know, we were on the show at the time and I was pulling my hair out because I said, how about no Griezmann? How about no Griezmann? How about no Neymar? If I have to choose, I'll, I'll go with Griezmann here. But yeah, it was certainly something from market uh, and, and market revenue that uh, a previous administration at Barcelona were pushing for. Um, but yeah, I just want to restructure the idea of what if Griezmann were paid. This is what we always go back to. If Griezmann were paid equal to the contributions he makes on the team. He's a good player and he makes sense with Barcelona. So just because uh, he's not being bringing in 25 goals and and 17 assists like he's being paid to do doesn't mean he's the problem. And another player who makes a lot of money. Do you have one more point of Griezmann or can I switch to another high earner on Barcelona? Go, go, go. We're good, so we're good. let's talk about another high earner and that is Frankie de Jong who in the beginning part of this season and the, uh, I mean, last season, almost the whole entire season, people look at his wage bill and say, hey, I mean, he costs 75 million euros and he's a top, I think he's a top five or six earner on the wage bill as well. So you kind of say, hey, Frankie DeYoung better be one of your better players or he's being overpaid. And uh, to go back to the heat map again, DeYoung, since he's been moved back to the back three, he was arguably Barca's best box-to-box midfielder this season with his goals and assists. And he's also arguably been Barca's best I mean, maybe in these, I mean, yes, it's only four matches, so it's a small sample size, but you could argue that the effect that he has had on these games, he's been at least Barca's most influential center back this season. And um, when I say center back, again, the heat map against Real Sociedad tells us that Busquets and De Young were both quite central in the middle of the field, and their heat map indicated their general position was within 15 yards of each other. And De Young would always be the one to push forward with Mingetha and Lengle a little bit farther back. Lengle actually just kind of playing this this um, almost sweeper role as this, you know, having to react the way he does and use his long legs and mobility to get into those spots. And uh, I just want to read you some of the stats here. Against La Real, 93 of 97 passing. And we don't go crazy because when you're a center back, you can make easier passes, sure. He did lose possession four times. And I think this seems to be the talking point. Against Huesca, uh, against Huesca he also lost some uh, some balls. 
he had 85, 86 passing there. So it wasn't necessarily the completed passes that were the problem. It was when he was dribbling or trying to dribble out of pressure that he would lose the ball and you're taking risks with him. But I think, Francesca, the argument for De Jong is that the rewards of having him back there outweigh the risks of when he loses the ball. This De Jong is the one that made the semifinals with Ajax and, were, were, and, and beat Real Madrid. This is that De Jong that we saw. So is he best as a box-to-box -box midfielder at Barcelona? I'm not sure. Is he best as this kind of center back in a 3-5-2? I mean, based on Barca's results, maybe. Based on, based on his individual results, yeah, maybe not. But I think the risk is worth the reward. Well, it looks like Barca needs two Frankie De Jongs, isn't it? In his, Frankie De Jong, in his natural position, or his preferred position, I would say, and the one in which he's always shined, always, meaning like, you know, he's 27,000 years old, you know? Yeah, but, he's uh, 23. Traditionally yeah. yeah, but that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. He's talking about him like he's ancient now. Yeah. But, because he's been around for so long, isn't it? But he's, um, like you say, in box-to-box -box midfield position, we need him there. But if Piquet is out, we need him leading the back line as well. So I think that Barca needs two Frankies, um, which is why when People criticize Piquet for his defending and, you know, his finish, blah, 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 blah. Well, he's not as great at defending as he once was. He's not as fast. He's not as speedy. But what Gerard Piquet can give you moving the ball forward from the back is so unique that when you don't have him, you have to put your best midfielder, arguably, with, with, with Kess, who's doing very well this season, by the way, and you have to put him in the at the back. But as I've already said in this podcast today, he's the one that, builds moving forward but once the ball has passed say the back line into the midfield and beyond he's the one that as you said with the heat map he's moving forward as a double pivot and then dropping quickly into the heart of the three whenever we're not in possession and we basically could be in danger on the back so um long story cut short certainly deserves to be paid in the top five of our team because he's one of our top five players without a shadow of a doubt and i think that I'm obviously very excited of what he could bring. He's been able to bring this season. Um, last season, and I've already said this today again for Serginho Dest, his first season at Barca, this being Frankie, was not brilliant, but he was good enough to continue to be a starter throughout and grow the following season. So I cannot wait to see what he can do in the next, well, we've got 11 games left this year, don't we? So in those games, and then where he's going to grow into next season. Hopefully Laporta um, can find some money, can do some restructuring, whatever he needs to do. I'm sure he knows better than anything we can think of here. But he can make some, some signings, he can move some pieces so that Frankie can go back to midfield, which I believe is mm. his best position, or where he's going to contribute more for us, um, not just in the short, but also the long term. Yeah, and uh, I, I'll give you the, a final say on Busquets as well. Busquets had four long balls against Huesca, four long balls against La Real, plus two key passes. And we, we spoke a lot about Sergino Dest and one of those goals, having that kind of space around Messi, that one-time ball, that, that pass from Busquets to set up Messi to give to, to Dest for his goal. Yeah. I mean, what a pass that was. And um, just and then, and then the, the ball over the top to Messi when Busquets got the direct assist. Yeah, Busquets, he was, he's just been so good in that 3-5-2. And I, I've, I've, we've, I didn't say rest defense until, what, the 40th minute today. So we did really well. <laughs> but uh, you can go back in previous shows the last two weeks where we went long and, and, and deep on the, uh, the tactical breakdown of why Busquets has, has been so good in this 3-5-2. It's that he has less responsibilities. He's being caught out less in the open field defensively, and he's able to just suffocate the opposition. And that press yeah. that you're seeing, I, I mean, he's also the direct recipient of the success of that press, that Barca are yeah. pressing more, and that means that he's able to read the game. And if you let Busquets read the game, good things are going to happen. 
Yeah, it looks like this 3-5-2 as it is at the moment, uh, meaning that the opponents don't really have seen to work it out just yet, is maximizing the skills of a lot of our players. I think that the growth of Alba and Des, we've already spoken about at length, but the fact that um, Busquets is more resguardado, he's more covered, he's more protected by the others, actually allows him to maximize the great parts of his game, which is the passing, the vision, the control, and the association with Messi, let's face it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of all the players that play for Barcelona, you could argue Jordi Alba, but Busquets is the one who's who knows what's happening in between the ears of that Argentine brain more than anybody else on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's finish up the show by talking about uh, a midfield, but not necessarily Barcelona. Jorginho Wijnaldum, there was a rumor from, I, I'm going to say, mm-hmm. I'm not going to give that a lot of credibility, but there was a, a harsh rumor, and we've heard it throughout the year, though. So when there is smoke, there is fire, that Ronald Koeman, if he continues on once, Jorginho, uh, Jorginho Wijnaldum, he's coming for, he would come for a free transfer from Liverpool. And the two questions here, is there enough already in in midfield? And then how young can you go? So when you and I were talking about this before we went on, the two things that stuck out to me was, we talked about the future position of De Jong at, at, at Barcelona. So obviously, Wijnaldum is almost his bridge. He's still just around 30 years old. So he still has plenty of, of, of gas left in the tank. He's a really good player for Liverpool. He's almost a... a He's a modern midfielder in that he takes box to box, but he he does a little bit more than that. He can control a game when you need him to. Uh, he's just an all-around quality midfielder. I think one of the better all-around midfielders in the entire world. But looking forward, I say, I question, I go, where is the position of De Jong moving forward? Because Wijnaldum and De Jong, are they technically taking up that same space in midfield? And then you were messaging me, believe it or not. So this is, I mean, I, I we don't have a noise for this, but wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Frances is the one who messaged me about ES Mariva. You knew where this was coming, right? <laughs> you know I was yeah. going to call you out. No, so, I didn't know how it was coming. Um, Fred, that's me about the that was very interesting, player. so I thought, let's make sure we say that. <laughs> yeah, so I just want all listeners to know, Frances messaged me about the teenage player this time. So I want to put that on record. It took 250 shows, but he's calling out to me that, and it's true, Ias Mariba has been, again, he was expected to be a really good player, and I don't want to go crazy about what he's done in limited minutes, but he has been better than expected. So I'm not saying that he's a world-class midfielder, but as an 18-year-old player, he has put himself, just like Fatih and Pedri, they have put themselves on a trajectory that if they continue on this path, it doesn't make any sense of, for me to bring in Wijnaldum. Because even though Wijnaldum is a top midfielder at the moment, Ias Mariba, even at the age of 22, he's he needs the minutes to become what he's able to be. And you see the early returns of what he's able to be. I don't think of, with his game and the aerial duels that he wins, with the way that he controls the game, with the passes that he delivers, with his positioning, the way he works with Messi, there is no major fault in ES Mariba's game other than being inexperienced. And for me, that is a great sign. That means that if you give him minutes and you uh, you get rid of the the inexperienced part of his uh, his profile so far, I mean, what can he not do at this moment? Or what can you not see the raw ability that he's going to be able to do? And so I, I just, it doesn't make sense to me between the position of De Jong and Ias Mariba. I, I don't think Barcelona need to be bringing in another midfielder that's going to take, I mean, what, 1,600 minutes is what Ronaldo plays in a season. He plays a ton of minutes for you. Yeah. Um, we haven't mentioned him just yet. And unfortunately, we don't mention him often enough. But Pjanic, he's still <laughs> with us, isn't he? Indeed so he is. So yeah. what... what what is he doing? Like, what is he doing? He, I'm, I'm, I have to assume he's training very well. I need to assume that he's doing, you know, all he can to get into the team, but he's nowhere near the team. So is Pjanic actually staying next season when the manager clearly doesn't trust him? 
the answer, I guess, will have to be no. I mean, we're not really going to go into talking about players that shouldn't be here next season, but we're already talking about players that could potentially be here next season. So I, I, my, my, my thought is that before you open the door to allow people in, you have to open the door so that people can come out. Agreed. And I think that, um, you know, I, I know that we always say about La Masia and give the kids a chance, blah, 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 blah. We've been saying that for four years. But I also think that there needs to be a certain amount of experience within the squad. Um, and I think that if Wijnaldum can bring, can come in for free first, because our economy is rubbish, basically, is <laughs> in tatters. If you know, Wijnaldum can come in for free and can do the job that Piani was meant to be doing, then I don't really have a problem with that if Piani goes. But I think that um, adding more to the wage bill to bring up another player who hopefully will not play the minutes that Ilash is going to be getting moving forward. Um, and obviously Pedri is already getting his own minutes, but you know I'm not discarding Ricky Puch having a, a, a better amount of minutes next year. So if, if you want to grow, uh, then I think that it is you have to give the players minutes. But I also think that there are some games and at the in the length of the season, you need, I would say, 18 to 19 players who can actually play arguably every game. And if they're not ready to play every game, at least they can come in and out and, and basically be in the first team rotation. And I do think that an experienced midfielder who's a Champions League winner who can deputize for Busquets whenever he's not there, can also play as an interior, is a great option to have. And I wouldn't be saying bring you Wijnaldum next year if Piani was excelling at his job, but he's not. So I would say that between the two of them, I would certainly have one of them in the squad unless he breaks the bank, in which case both can go. Or yeah, one of them can, can just not come and the other one can just leave. Yeah, and the argument I start to make with that is that why, what job was Pianis brought in to do was none. He wasn't brought in to do a job. He was brought yeah. in to be worth a, a money and to get Arter off the books and to balance the books. That's why he was brought in. So, I mean, it, I, even with... Coutinho and Pjanic most likely to probably be leaving and I do joke about it but Mateus Fernandez sits on the bench every single match like what if there was actually a midfielder on the bench that wasn't Pjanic or or Mateus Fernandez that could be trusted and give you something different that the others don't and so I, I, I've been thinking and it's really the question here that I'll let you end the show with is that Barcelona's midfield next year there is this different there's something different between talent and youth right where Pedri he may play like he's 25 years old, but it's true. He's not 25 years old. He's never won a Champions League. He hasn't played in those big matches. So what happens when, uh, if he goes missing at, eight, at 18, you're, you're going to say, hey, you know, this 18-year-old kid wasn't ready for that moment. Meanwhile, for PSG, if if Leandro Paredes or if uh, Ganagai or, or if Verratti go missing, you're going to go, hey, that player went missing. It doesn't matter how old he is. He's experienced, and he just didn't play well. So Pedri always has you know, the built-in excuse that at 18, if he goes missing, he goes missing. For me, next year, between eight midfielders of De Jong, Pedri, Busquets, um, Puj, Ies Mariba, um, Alenia potentially coming back, Hunter Oriana and Nico Gonzalez both pushing for that, we'll say, backup spot for uh, un- behind Busquets. Basically, Busquets will still be the starter, but th- there's even two players to be understudies, right? In those eight players... I so desperately wish that between Pedri, Iash, um, even Alenia, Puj, uh, Oriana, and Nico Gonzalez, I wish two of those, what, five, six players, I so wish that they were 25, 26 years old. Because if they were, this wouldn't be a discussion point. Because the talent of those eight is good enough to win you titles. But the experience of those eight just isn't enough. 
So I think that is my great frustration. And I think the difficult thing where either way, I will understand that if a, a, a player like Wijnaldum with his pedigree and with his experience is brought in, I understand that you cannot have six of your players being 22 years or younger and your main midfield players. However, I do argue that the rest of the field, I mean, yes, Des is young too, and Mingetha is also young, but uh, the point is with Alba and Messi, Busquets, um, even PK again next year, Ter Stegen, the core of your team is still going to be a year older. And I, it's about that transition. And the, you know, the, the worrisome thing is, is this transition too young? Are Fati, Pedri, Puj, Iash, Alenia, Mingetha, Dest, are they just too young? Did you need them to be 22, 23, 24? And I really question that, though, because when Paco Akathair and Andre Gomes and Denise Suarez and players who were 23-24, Lucas Digne at the time as well, and Umtiti was in that bunch, they were all 23-24 when they were brought in that big summer. And how many of those succeeded? None. None. Yeah. None came out of that group. And they were the group that was supposed to be entering their prime. So I don't care if they're, tw they're 18. I don't care if they're 24. If their talent is there, then maybe they should be filling those roles. But I certainly, again, understand the other side of the coin that you do that that midfield looks like it's just one player, one experienced player short. And I, I yeah. think even with Wijnaldum, my hope would be there'd be enough minutes because I, my hope would be Busquets would get more rest than he gets. Pedri would get more rest than he gets. De Jong gets more rest than he gets. And the argument for Pedri is if he needs more rest and Ricky Puj is the answer there. But again, we're not doing that this yeah. week. We do that every week. But yeah, De Jong and Busquets, I think, should be rotated a little bit more. But Wijnaldum also isn't going to come to be a backup. He's coming to be the starter. So he's going to take Pedri's be... start, uh, spot, right? Yeah. It's going yeah. to be Pedri to go to the bench. Yeah, the way I see it, there's got to be a Stadu Keita in every great winning team. A, team. a player that could be a starter, a player that could come in for 30 minutes, a player that would give you 20 sort of hardworking minutes and could hold a positive result or could help you chase a negative result. Who knows? And I don't think we've got that player that adds that strength, that adds that stamina and has that experience behind them. And the understanding of the game um, and that's what Pjanic really should be doing now we're not seeing it so if Pjanic cannot do it then if Laporta can find a way out of that one and bring someone in for free around the same wage as Pjanic then I'm, I'm happy days I think someone needs to do that job um, because not everything can be the youngsters if you really want to challenge from titles you need to mix it up a little bit I'm not saying that no youngster will ever start I'm certainly not saying that I've been campaigning for the opposite for four years but I that in a rotation of 18 you need to have another strong experienced midfielder if you really want to compete at the at the larger stage yeah and i think the way that parts is performing right now that yes there's still the copa del rey to win yes there's still la liga to chase because Barca are the superior team right now to Atletico Madrid. And it's just the hope that they drop four more points or at least one more point and they get one more draw, Barca get a win, and then Barca can take care of business against Atletico Madrid and have the, the league in their hands, which is what you want. You want this yeah. the team to be playing well and have the league in their hands. So there is an international break that you mentioned at the start. It's just a terrible time for this. Usually we're not looking forward to the international break, but I think double this time when Barca are playing so well. Sometimes it's exciting that Barca get to take have a little break before they have to come back like it was in October when they weren't playing so well but yeah it's 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 different now so yeah i'll give you the final word francis yeah just talking about la liga so there are 30 points left i think that atletico are gonna drop more points um i don't really see them winning 30 points moving forward um we still have not every match we've got is easy put it that way i think the upcoming game against valladolid is probably the easier one we've got left i would say that if barca can get 24 points 
from here until the end of the season, I think we could win it. I think that if we drop more than six points to be able to recover the distance with Atletico Madrid and, you know, we still have to face, obviously, the, the, the bigger match coming up is El Clásico. I think that if we don't lose El Clásico, uh, if we win it, obviously, even better. I think with 24 points, we could challenge for the title. Um, so I think that La Liga depends on what we can do more than what the others can do because they're quite irregular. And, uh, you know, you can never discard Real Madrid because they, they, I don't admire them in any way, shape or form. I detest them, right? I, I see white and my eyes bleed. It's like my heart explodes with um, death and zombie colors and stuff. But I hate them with a passion. But you have to give them credit. They fight until the end and they always have. And I don't think Madrid, you can discard them. Um, obviously, Laporta is our president now. There's already a campaign coming from Madrid complaining about the VAR. Um, you know, wow, 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 the VAR is not helping us. Um, you know, we, we're really disappointed about the fact that um, everything we had set up, Laporta has come and has changed. Why is it changing? You know, everyone is sabotaging Real Madrid, etc., etc., etc. So they are going to get some refereeing decisions as a result of that, obviously. I lived in Spain for nearly 40 years. So as a result of that, there's going to be some decisions further down the line, sooner rather than later, I'd say as well, coming Real Madrid's way. Um, they always seem to score a goal with their elbows on the last minute. And VAR decisions don't always go Barca's way either. So you can expect that. Put everything into the balance. I think Madrid will fight till the end. I think Atletico Madrid are going to drop more points than we probably expect. But again, if we can win all of our matches with champions, I've got no, no, no doubt about that. And I think it will, be between, it will be between 24 to 26 points for us to win so that we can challenge for the title. So I Liga. Yeah, and I want to remind you for El Clasico too that Real Madrid have a match before and after in the Champions League. So mm -hmm. they have other things to worry about. And you know how Real Madrid, all they do is they claw their way to the Champions League title over and over again, even though they're not everywhere. They're very rarely close to the best team in Spain. So they, they, find a, they always find a way in Europe. And so that's something that Barca, their full attention is on that one final in the Copa and the Liga. And you can tell that Ronald Koeman hasn't bought in. They want the trophy. And it surprised all of us. I mean, we were, you know, they, we laid them for dead. And yet here they are on the verge of a, not on the verge, but uh, very close to a double if all things continue to go the way they've gone in the last uh i think now since 2021 began it's a big enough sample size to say that hey barca figured it out <laughs> and they've been the best team in europe since the, the first of january so credit where credit is due so I, I think that's a good place to wrap it up for another edition of the show so that was 250 i hope you enjoyed the first 249 and 250 was good and hopefully you'll continue to be with us for the next uh however many it happens but i want to remind you please fill out the survey down in the show notes below it's also on twitter instagram at the barcelona pod for both you can join our closed facebook group as well the barcelona podcast and answer some questions and Patreon is how we keep making these shows. Always, always appreciated. And one of the things for that survey is I want to continue to figure out how I can support the Patreons in those kind of ways and where some of our energy should be. And you can also listen to these these shows over on Patreon without the ads. So that's another bonus for uh, just, again, $3 a month over on Patreon. So a little incentive to support the show as well. And as you know, we're on YouTube. That's where the match reviews are at the Barcelona podcast, especially during the off season. Uh, and even during the international break, there's some fun stuff that happens there that doesn't happen on the pod. So most importantly, though, thanks to, to you for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon and Forza Barca. Forza.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.